And we're off in defense of the Big 12. Brad Kellner, Tyler McComas, together we form the most unbelievable Big 12 podcast on the internet. Is that right? Hey, look, Spartan Barton already says in defense of the Big 12 is highly quality content. So there we go. His words, not mine. His words, that. not mine. That's a great start to this Thursday <laughs> edition of the show. I love seeing that. Thank you for the support, Spartan Barton. Yeah. I always appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So join us in the comment section. We love when you do that. Uh, tell us we suck for all I care. I don't know. Just fill up the comment <laughs> section, whatever. These past two weeks have seemed like an eternity. I cannot imagine what it's been like for you guys in Austin because it seems like literally you've talked anything but actually the product that Texas has put out on the field, all off-field stuff. And then yesterday with this band situation, man, it is, it's wild down there. Like I've never seen it before. I'll tell you what, the radio shows are writing themselves these days, Tyler. I mean, we don't have to find the content. The content finds us. So it makes it really easy to conduct a four-hour radio program every afternoon here in Austin. Now, I wish, and I'm sure a lot of Longhorn fans wish, the content were different. Right, We'd prefer to be talking about a 4-0 team that's in the top 10 in college football and competing for a Big 12 championship for the first time since 2009, but that is not the case. The team is obviously struggling. Once again, we're having conversations about firing the head coach, and yeah, you brought up the extracurricular stuff, right? the off-the-field issues surrounding the eyes of Texas that have been going on uh, for the last couple of weeks, right, since the conclusion, well, I guess it started over the summer, really, but it picked mm-hmm. back up after the conclusion of the Texas OU game at the Cotton Bowl two Saturdays ago. So, yeah, there's been plenty to talk about, and you're right, Tyler. I mean, it does feel like the off-the-field stuff seems to be taking the headlines away from the on-field product, which is not very good right now for Texas. Uh, we got five games to talk about today. I, I promise you we'll get into all of those. KU Kansas State looks like the least attractive one, but I got to ask you about all the intense trash talk on social media for the Sunflower Showdown. Like, oh my God, that's it's not OU Texas-esque or anything like that, but uh, man, it, it, it's wild. It's, uh, it's pretty intense, so we'll talk about that. I, I just want to ask you quickly before we move on from Texas – Is there a situation now because I I feel like the biggest attention getter for Texas on Saturday is, is everybody going to stand in unison on the field for the eyes of Texas? Is there a situation where they lose to Baylor and half the team goes into the locker room? Is there, is there a situation where Tom Herman gets fired before the end of the season? I thought you were just asking if there was a situation they lose to Baylor. And the answer to that definitely is. Definitely, yes. There's a situation where they would lose to Lake Travis High School right now, it feels like. Uh, Man, I I do. I don't think we're there yet, but I do think there is a scenario in which Tom Herman gets let go before the end of the season. Now, in terms of odds, like putting a percentage on it happening, I would say it's less than 10%. I don't think it's very likely. Now, I've talked to some people behind the scenes who think it is much more likely than that, but I, I still think it's going to take until after the season comes to an end, barring Texas just losing like four games in a row and players coming out and saying that Tom Herman has lost the locker room and he's doing this and he's doing that. I mean, unless all of those things come to a head, I don't think a change is going to be made until after the season. But, uh, I mean, Tom Herman is pissed off just about everybody there is to piss off, right? He's pissed off the boosters, the big money donors. He's pissed off the administration. He's pissed off the fan base. And it feels like his locker room is split right now. Now, multiple players and multiple coaches have come out and said all of those rumors, all of those reports about the locker room being fractured are not true. And everyone's saying the right things, that they're unified and everything's fine. And we're focused on Baylor and this and that. But it doesn't feel like that's the case from the outside. So, He's on very thin ice right now. It feels like his days are numbered as the head coach of the University of Texas, but I would still say less likely than not that uh, Tom Herman loses his job during the season, but once again, things can change. I feel like your 10% number is going to have to go up if they lose to Baylor and the eyes of Texas looks very similar to what it did, um, you know, like Sam Ellinger being the only one that stands out there, you know, because that is a – that's kind of the way for the guys on this team to silently protest that they're not a big fan of their head coach, you know, like power and numbers, right? Like they can all do that in unison and be, I I don't know. I just think that this eyes of Texas thing has blown up so much that whether it's fair or not, I think a lot of people have the look that Tom Herman can't control a football team. He can't control this football program. 
And if they continue to lose, then maybe the right move is to just let him go during the middle of the year. Yeah, no, it was an embarrassing look after the Red River shootout a couple of Saturdays ago. And there were a few other Longhorns scattered across the field at the Cotton Bowl who were standing and had their horns up for the eyes of Texas. And I will say, I'm not defending the entire situation, right? I'm not going to try to make it sound like 100% of the team was staying on the field uh, for the eyes after the, the Red River shootout. But I will say a couple of things. Number one, there was no band there. No band at the football game. So usually after Texas OU comes to a close, the Longhorn team, they go yeah. up to the section where the band is sitting and they sing the eyes right there. So without the band, that made things a little bit confusing. And also the timing of the song was a little bit odd, right? I mean, Oklahoma had already received the golden hat and they were on the field celebrating. And most of the players had already given their handshakes and were, were like walking into the locker room because they thought the game was over. So I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey, if they knew the alma mater was going to be played, if they knew the eyes of Texas was going to be played at that time, then they would have a hundred percent stayed on the field. But I do think that is an element to the story that is at least worth bringing up that there might've been some confusion about whether or not the song was going to be played at all because it was a neutral site game. Uh, Texas was what technically the road team in that game. And I think they played Oklahoma's alma mater first. So maybe the Longhorns just thought it wasn't going to be played. Now, go back to the overall point. Uh, yeah, it's still a huge problem. And it's really not just a Tom Herman problem. It is a university problem. It is a, an administration problem because, look, this story became a huge story over the summer when the Texas football team and Texas student athletes kind of ran with it. But it was actually smaller student organizations on campus that brought the eyes of Texas and its origins to the attention of UT administration and UT didn't really do anything about it, right? Remember that list yeah. of requests from players? We've talked about it on this podcast, right? Uh, student athletes and UT students were looking for changing the names of some buildings and removing some statues that were linked to racism. Those things got changed, but UT just kind of ignored the eyes of Texas. Like the entire administration, for some reason, just thought this would go away. Like, oh, if we remove some statues and we change the names of some buildings, and hey, let's rename the football field Campbell Williams Field. That's going to be enough, right? No one's going to bring up the eyes of Texas anymore. Like they just, for some reason, assumed that uh, if we kick the can down the road, this is not going to be a problem, and that is clearly not the case. So, yeah, it's a bad look for Tom Herman. That's the guy we see, and he should have had his football team more under control here. But, man, I think the the, the bigger blame goes on the university and the administration for just ignoring this issue, not wanting to deal with it, and thinking that it was going to go away because clearly they were wrong. Okay, seriously, last thing here. Uh, Texas is wearing throwback jerseys, 1970s, all white. Is there talk there that they didn't mean for it to be this look, but it's like all of this is going on, the eyes of Texas controversy. And I think that was the last all-white national championship team in college football. Is that right? No, no, that was 69 the year before. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been a huge, huge problem. I mean, they wouldn't have gotten away with that, right, if they were honoring the last all-white college football national champions no this way. year while the eyes of Texas debate is going on, that would have been the worst look ever. So thankfully that is not the case. Uh, there were some black lettermen on that 1970 national championship team, but uh, yeah, that would have, wow, that would have made for a, a, a ridiculous story right there, but who knows knowing what's going on around this university these days. I don't know how surprised I would have been if they did screw something like that up. Uh, your boy, Puka Williams. By the way, Brad is a uh, big-time Kansas football fan. Yes, he does radio in Austin, Texas, and covers the Longhorns, but come on. He bleeds crimson and blue. He bleeds KU football, and uh, their best player. No more, man. How about that? I don't know if anyone bleeds KU football, Tyler, but uh, for some reason I watch every game every year. I still can't quite figure out why I do that. Right? I feel like I should just be like the normal Kansas fan and just wait for basketball season. Maybe watch a couple of football games early on, but once I realize this team sucks again, uh, then we just stop watching on Saturdays and wait till Bill Self and company get things going at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. It's like Puka took that kickoff back at West Virginia and just ran out of the stadium and just like basically <laughs> ran off the team, never to be seen again. First of all, what a kickoff return, right? Because that covered the line. I mean, a lot of money switched hands. I don't know how many people are betting on Kansas, West Virginia football, but you know, some people are betting on Kansas, West Virginia football. And that uh, covered the 22, 22 and a half point line 
for Kansas against West Virginia, that kickoff return touchdown in the final two minutes. So a lot of people were loving Puka for that. A lot of people were hating Puka Williams for that. But uh, now his mom's really, really sick, man. His mom is in a bad way right now in, in Louisiana. So, you know, I think a lot of people thought, a lot of people on the outside who don't know much about uh, the situation with Puka and his family just assumed, man, Kansas is terrible. And this guy's a Sunday player. Don't risk anything, right? Opt out, get ready for the draft, whatever. And maybe that's a small part of it, but the big story is, and there was some thought that before the year started that Puka Williams was going to opt out to be closer uh, to his mom and to his family. But that's the big story right here is that his mom's not doing that well and he wants to be close to home during this time. So I totally commend the kid. I mean, I've said it with everybody who's opting out, right? I, I can't fault anybody for putting their health or their family's health first. Right. I mean, it just feels ridiculous, especially when you're not getting paid like these student athletes aren't. So, uh, yeah, obviously a bummer. I mean, that's that's the, the best part of Kansas football is watching Puka Williams. I feel for him because he got no help during his tenure in Lawrence. He's a hell of a player. I think everybody who's watched Big 12 football over the last three years knows how talented this kid can be. And I feel like he's torched every defense in this league at some point during his KU career. But uh, can't fault him for the decision. Wishing him all the best. Wishing his family all the best. And yeah, I mean, Kansas is, is going to be even worse now that they've lost their their best player. I want to remind you guys that In Defense of the Big 12 is sponsored by American Betting Experts, one of the largest licensed sports and casino vendors in the United States. We have teamed together to provide special gaming offers to all Landry football followers and podcast listeners. Here's what you do. It's simple. Go to our website, LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located in the upper right side of the page. Pick among the gaming sites legal in your state. That's BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, PointsBet. Sign up and instantly receive an account deposit match or risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It is that easy. Just go to LandryFootball.com. Click on the ad located on the upper right side of the page and get in on the action with a special offer from American Betting Experts. All right, uh, I think we got five, at least four intriguing games in the conference this weekend. We're just talking about Kansas without Puka Williams. Now they got to go to Kansas State. Uh, 11 a.m. on FS1. KSU's like a 19-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Uh, Boy, even K-State is a backup quarterback. It's been a long time since Kansas has won this. Is it like 08, 09 last time? 08. You won the Sunflower Showdown? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a while since Kansas has gotten the better of K-State in this matchup. And I think the streak is at 11 right now, 11 straight victories for K-State in this rivalry. So, I mean, it's obvious, right, if you've been watching either of these two programs over the last decade, one team has been kind of contending, kind of competing, kind of relevant in this conference, while the other team has been maybe the worst team in all of Power Five uh, for the last 10 years or so. So, been a long time, and I don't expect that to change this weekend. Yeah, despite K-State playing with Will Howard instead of Skylar Thompson, I think they're going to roll. Uh, the line opened up at 17 and a half. I'm seeing 20 right now. I don't think that's enough. Uh, I know KU got off to a good start against West Virginia last week, but over time, West Virginia just started to dominate that game. I think K-State's better than West Virginia. Uh, I think Kansas State's going to roll against KU Saturday morning. So Andrew Parchment was preseason All-Big 12 first team as a wide receiver. Um, KU has not had good quarterback play this year. Actually, they've had bad quarterback play. Parchman isn't even their leading receiver right now. Has he been dinged up? Has he been hurt? Or is it just opposing defenses just say, all right, we're just going to stop Andrew Parchment. You're not going to throw it to him because you can't do anything else except that. Man, they've got some decent receivers, honestly. Some guys who put up some good numbers last year, especially by Kansas's standard. But, you know, with Carter Stanley, who was a decent quarterback, I know Kansas fans would scoff at that, right? Because he was frustrating to watch for, for a number of years. But he was good enough to make throws. Last year, I mean, guys like Parchment, guys like Stephon Robinson were able to put up some decent numbers last year in the Big 12. It's just not happening at all. I mean, the quarterback play, they've gone through three guys. They've all been really, really, really bad. So uh, until they get the quarterback problem solved, it doesn't matter how good your receivers are, right? If you don't have a guy who can get them the football, then not a whole lot's going to change. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I still think Robinson, or excuse me, I still think Parchment's a good player. I think Robinson's a good player too. Lassiter is the guy who is leading uh, Kansas in receiving yards right now. I think all those guys have some talent, but once again, no quarterback play doesn't mean a whole lot. 
Yeah. Uh, this the trash talk on Twitter, though. Kansas State has really played up the, yeah, yeah well, you know, Kansas didn't even recruit me. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just like, damn, guys. Okay. I, did you want to get recruited by Kansas? Like, I get the chip that right. you have if you're a local kid, but that's probably a blessing, guys. Jeez. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Guys complaining that Kansas football didn't recruit them, right? We've heard that with Texas. Right, guys who end up going to the other schools, the TCUs, the Baylors, the Texas Techs, the Houstons, they'll talk about how UT didn't recruit them and they'll hold a chip and a grudge because of that. That makes sense. I'm sure Oklahoma, right? There's guys who go to Tulsa or hell, guys who go anywhere, smaller schools than OU who get upset, who get mad that OU didn't recruit them. But I don't know if I've ever heard that before with Kansas. I mean, I, whatever, whatever gets you pumped up. And yeah, if you're a local kid, if you're within an hour of Lawrence, I'm sure you, you might, you maybe grew up a Kansas fan and it would be nice to be recruited by the local school. But I don't know how many of those dudes would have gone to KU over K State or over anywhere else. Uh, so that's a, a weird bit, but I guess Kansas needs to do a better job of recruiting since obviously K State is, is doing good work with the in-state kids up there. I'm going to guess that, uh, this is Les Miles' last year at Kansas. Just hearing him at press conferences, he could have went to the game last Saturday, right? And, and they still didn't take him. Um, he's accomplished a lot in his coaching career. There's no doubt. He did a great job at Oklahoma State. He really did a great job getting that program turned around. What Oklahoma State is today, uh, a lot of it is because, you know, he was able to instill a philosophy and a culture in that program that really took hold for Mike Gundy to take off with it. Um, of course, he won a national championship at LSU and did great things there, but I don't know what's going on with him, Brad, but he's clearly not all the way there, and it's kind of sad to see, to be honest. Yeah, it sort of feels that way, right? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think he would have taken the job if something serious was going on, but he doesn't appear to be the same Les Miles that we saw at LSU yeah. and at Oklahoma State for a couple of decades. So uh, I don't know. I don't know what the situation's going to be after this year. Uh, you know, he's only been there. This is year two for him. Uh, I do commend him. Now, he's only had like one full recruiting class, so I don't know how much commending he gets. But a huge problem with Kansas and why they've been in such a rut for so long is all of their coaches have been looking for short-term fixes on the recruiting trail, right? They're, they say the right things in an interview, like, hey, I'm going to build this program the right way. But once you get the job, you see this in politics all the time. I hate to bring up politics, but like you do whatever you can to keep the job, to get reelected. Sure. Right. And a lot of coaches do that too. They don't, you know, whatever they have to do to keep their job as a head coach and get a contract extension, they're going to do. They want to win right now. So guys like David Beatty and Charlie Weiss was the worst at this. They just went to the JUCO ranks to try to build the program. Like that's where they filled their scholarships was with short-term JUCO guys who, okay, some of them turned out to be okay. But, you know, once those guys leave, you've got nobody waiting in the wings. And Kansas's scholarship numbers at times have been so low because they're only going for short-term JUCO fixes instead of actually building with freshmen through recruiting with high school kids. So Les Miles did the majority of that or did a lot of that for his class this past year, which I commend him. Uh, he's been doing that, I think, for this 2021 class a little bit too. But that's what it's going to take, whether it is Les Miles, who's getting to his late 60s at this point, whether it's him or the next guy, like that's what they're going to have to do. Obviously, it's a long and painful rebuild. It's been a long and painful rebuild, and it appears Kansas is still a few years away from even coming close to bowl eligibility, but you got to do it the right way. So it seemed like Les Miles was going to do that. Whether or not he's the guy beyond this season or beyond next season uh, seems to be up in the air still. Hey, if you're joining us, join us in the comments section. Love to hear from you. We'll get to some of those comments here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, the other 11 a.m. game is Oklahoma and TCU, unranked matchup between both of those teams. 11 a.m. on ABC. OU's listed as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, boy, this is uh, the, the way that TCU is going to try to beat OU seems very Kansas State-esque. Uh, the two purple teams in the conference that we talk about all the time, OU's going to see a ton a ton, a ton, a ton of quarterback run game from Max Duggan. Um, they're going to try to shut down OU's running game defensively, make Spencer Rattler beat them down the field. But, you know, just one observation for me from TCU. You know, even in years past when they struggled offensively, they still had a Cavante Turpin, a John Diars, a Jalen Rager, a Josh Doxon. I just don't, I don't see anybody close to that guy that they have at wide receiver this year. I really don't. And Max Duggan can throw the ball, though he's very prone to mistakes. I think the game plan of them is quarterback run game, 
run downhill, and then try to mix in some deep shots down the field. Yeah, it's weird because last year it felt like they had a couple of those guys. I mean, obviously Jalen Rager comes to the top of the list. He was a first-round pick, after all. He was a beast in Fort Worth for a couple of years. But, you know, some guys who were returning, excuse me, Tay Barber and Valence Hunt, like those guys at times last year were huge weapons. They made a bunch of explosive plays for TCU, and those guys aren't doing a whole lot this year. And I thought the J.D. Spielman pickup, the transfer from Nebraska – I thought that guy was going to be a big weapon in the vertical passing game for TCU, and he hasn't done a whole lot this season either. So, yeah, I mean, right now it doesn't feel like TCU has that downfield vertical threat. Uh, Quentin Johnston, the freshman who was once committed to Texas, he's shown some flashes of great play, and I think he's going to be a really, really good player there for the next couple of years. But, yeah, they're not getting a lot from their downfield passing game. And outside of their performance in Austin, in which the TCU offense looked pretty good, uh, they've struggled. They struggled a lot against K-State a couple of weeks ago, the last time they took the field, too. I mean, they could barely get anything going on that side of the football. They had seven points until the final couple of minutes of the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think your hunch is accurate. Uh, I think Max Duggan's legs, I mean, that's a huge part of his game. That's a huge part of the TCU offense, and I think that's where Oklahoma can be a little bit susceptible. Uh, Sam Ellinger did a great job picking up yards, scrambling against Oklahoma. Like, that was the only rushing offense Texas had against OU a yeah. couple of weeks ago with Sam Ellinger taking off and running – on those non-designed quarterback run plays. So, yeah, Duggan, you have to contain him. You have to find a way to control him. But if you can do that, if you're Oklahoma, uh, you've got a really, really good chance to win this game and kind of win this game by multiple scores. I could be wrong, but I think a lot of people in the conference are kind of looking and saying, oh, okay, Oklahoma beat Texas. They probably got right. They go down to Fort Worth and beat TCU this weekend. Here they come again. They're going to run the rest of the schedule. Don't say it. They're going to win the Big 12 once again. And look, and I'm even having those thoughts right now because I think that that's how big this game is for OU right now. If they go down to Fort Worth and beat TCU, all of a sudden that schedule's like, ooh, okay. Already played TCU. Already played Iowa State. Already played Kansas State. Already played Texas. We know how small Oklahoma State plays in Bedlam. So there's a lot of very favorable matchups as the season goes along, whereas if you lose, you're 1-3 in conference and you're sitting there saying, what now? Yeah. Where do we go from here? So this really is a, a big time game for OU. But and I've had to catch myself on this because I've had that same thought, like I said, like, okay, OU got right against Texas. Here they go. They're about to run the rest of the schedule. But based on what? Because the teams before them did? Seriously? Right. Like I'm I have been giving this team credit all year long that they haven't earned. I've been giving this team credit that past teams, things for that past teams did. Not 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 OU. And if the past three games are any indication, OU's going to turn the ball over. They're going to have several penalties. And it's going to be a close football game, probably a tie game, a one-score game with two minutes remaining in the game. So I felt pretty good about OU's chances all week long, but I'm like, who am I to sit here after watching this team and just say, oh, they're just going to go down to Fort Worth and win by 10 points? No way, dude. Every single game from here on out, is going to be a struggle. It's going to be a slugfest. So I've had to catch myself just from saying, oh, yeah, here they go. They're going to run the rest of the schedule. It ain't it ain't that easy for this team. No, and that's the beauty of the Big 12 this year, right? I mean, outside of your free space, which is Kansas, uh, every game is winnable, and every game also feels losable, right? We've seen that across this league through a couple of weeks of conference play. So, I mean, winning a rivalry game is always huge, right? Winning the Red River shootout is always big because weird stuff happens in that game. And regardless how bad either side looks going into that game on paper, uh, that's still an impressive win and can be a win to jumpstart your season or turn your season around. But it's a bad Texas team, you know? Uh, Oklahoma needed four overtimes to beat a really, really bad Texas team that probably should be 0-3 in conference play right now. So it's like, yeah, I mean, the, the past five years, you brought it up perfectly. I thought you said it very eloquently. Like, that's why a lot of Big 12 fans, and I'm sure that's why a lot of Oklahoma fans are thinking, oh, my God, you know, don't let Oklahoma get hot because, well, they sometimes have a slip up early on in conference play. Then they figure things out. They turn things on, and they find their way to Arlington every single year. Uh, Oklahoma's got a ton of problems, man. They've got a lot of issues to address. They still have a relatively shorthanded roster by Oklahoma standards. You mentioned the turnovers. You mentioned the penalties. They're one of the most penalized teams in all of college football. So, Yeah, I mean, if they win this weekend, sure, you can get excited and start to look ahead, and they have played the majority of the tough teams on their schedule. But once again, it feels like uh, you know any of these games is winnable and any of these games is losable, and Oklahoma hasn't done enough over conference play thus far. 
their one and two start in conference play thus far to tell you that, uh, yeah, guaranteeing them to run the table feels like the right thing to do. Don't expect Trajan Bridges to be back this week. Don't expect Ramondre Stevenson to be back this week. I don't know if you can expect Ronnie Perkins to be back ever, to be Mm -hmm. honest with you. But the other two guys should be back for the Halloween game at Texas Tech. But uh, Ronnie Perkins saga, not looking exactly too good for him to return again, which still think he's your best defensive player. Yeah, and he can go – he's a junior this year? Yeah, he could go. Okay, so that's kind of what we're looking at. Right yeah, I, I'm kind of starting to think that he's played his last down at OU. Now, there's some rumors out there that he was kicked off the team, and I can't confirm that. I, I don't know if that's the truth or not, but, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see if that's the case, I'm sure. But Lincoln doesn't tell us anything in the press conference, so yeah. you got to find it all out for yourself. What's, uh, what's your confidence level for this game, right? Just looking micro versus macro, Oklahoma Seven. at TCU. Feeling, okay. I feel, I feel pretty good, honestly. I, and, again, it's – how good I feel is like, wait, why do you feel this good? Like I just can completely contradict myself when I say a seven or something like that, that I feel pretty good that they're going to win. But I just, I think they're the better football team. Um, And I guess my expectation too is why I feel so high about that. Yeah. I mean, you could maybe even convince me an eight. It's just, they've had this bye week and I expect this team to have taken a pretty big step in the last two weeks of practice. Again, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. That, that's a giant That's a giant question mark. But I guess that's just my expectation. If this coaching staff is worth the salary that it's making every year, how are they not going to get better over these past two weeks? But on the flip side, can't you say the same thing about TCU? Right. Well, also with Oklahoma, I mean, they had a bye after their win over Missouri State, and then their next game was K-State, which they yeah. blew that huge lead and lost at home. So, yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma's got a great coaching staff. I think Lincoln Riley's the best coach in this conference, uh, without question. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Your theory's fair. Both teams have improved, I'm sure. I, I think Oklahoma's the better football team, though. I I'm with too. you. Curious to see Spencer Rattler against the TCU defense, though. TCU has really, really good corners. Um, Gary Patterson defenses are prone to the takeaway. And obviously Spencer Rattler got benched against Texas because he had too many takeaways in the first half of that, or too many turnovers, excuse me, in the first half of that game. So uh, how he fares against that really, really good Gary Patterson TCU defense, that 4-2-5 look, that'll be a tough test for him. But if he can protect the football, I think Oklahoma's going to win this game by double digits. Yes, Spartan Barton's got a high school football question for you. Okay. Brad and I both do high school football games, so I kind of dig this. Uh, with high school football, what's higher level, Florida or Texas? Is there any state higher quality than one of those two? Give me Texas, man. Really? Of course I'm going to say Texas. Come on. <laughs> I cover Texas high school football. I'm in the state of Texas. I'm not, I'm not going to not say Texas there. Uh, I would say those are your top two. Georgia's got to be in the mix. I mean, I think like percentage-wise of like high school kids who go to the NFL – uh, is higher in the state of Georgia than it is in any other state in the country. Louisiana is pretty high, too. Louisiana's got some. Dudes obviously, out there, man. Yeah, I mean, California obviously has a, a lot of dudes because there's just a F ton of people out there in general. Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked up those numbers in a while. That's usually like off-season conversation that we have where we get into yeah. which high school state is the best. Uh, I'm sure there's some numbers out there that would say Florida's better than Texas. I'm sure there's some numbers out there that would say Texas is better than Florida, but – I'm going to say Texas for sure. A lot of uh, NFL quarterbacks from the state of Texas playing football right now. There you go. A lot of them from Central Texas, too. I'm actually calling – so the school I call for is Austin High. Uh, Charles Wright is the quarterback there. Texas commit for the class of 2021. Uh, That's where Vern Lundquist went to college, by the way. Austin High, for those of you who didn't know. Uh, But they're playing Lake Travis on Friday, a football factory. So that'll be uh, and they've got that's a quarterback factory too, right? That's where Baker Mayfield uh, played his college or played his college football, played his high school football. Uh, that is where Garrett Gilbert played his high school football. That is where Todd Reesing, for you Kansas fans who are watching, probably zero of you, uh, that's where he played his high school ball. Hudson Card, current freshman quarterback at the University of Texas, that's where he played. So, uh, yeah, quarterback factory, the state of Texas, Central Texas too. There's a lot of talent in this state every single year, but Florida, Florida's real damn close too, no question. So uh, you you call the team you call Austin High has the has a Texas twenty one quarterback commit on it. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, uh, Charles Wright was committed to Iowa State for a while, uh, but Texas offered a couple of months ago after the Longhorns lost to commit to Alabama, 
after the Quinn Ewers news. We don't need to really dive into that too much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. He's a lifetime Longhorn fan, so it wasn't a big surprise. Parents with the Texas. Uh, so when he got that Texas offer, it wasn't too shocking that he flipped from Iowa State to UT. But uh, yeah, no, there's back to the question. I mean, I, once again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I guess I could have stalled and done a quick Google search to make myself sound smart, but it's too early in the morning. My brain's not working that quick yet. Uh, so uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'll, I'll go with Texas so people don't get mad at me. Hey, the game of the week in the Big 12. I believe this is the first ranked on ranked matchup that we've had this season in the conference, right? Iowa State and Oklahoma State. OU was not ranked. Texas was. Um, Texas was ranked. TCU was not. Mm -mm. I think this is the first top 25 matchup the Big 12. How about that? I think you're right. Iowa State State and OSU. Just like we all predicted. The first ranked matchup (laughs) of the year. Iowa State and OSU from Stillwater, 17th-ranked Cyclones, uh, 6th-ranked Cowboys, OK State minus 3.5, 230 on Fox. Uh, This is going to be awesome, man. And I'll probably flip a coin to see who I'm going to pick in this game just because we know OSU is pretty good this year, but there is still so much we don't know. There is no bigger unknown in this conference than Oklahoma State going into this week. Yeah, I mean, they haven't played anybody that good, number one. And... Their quarterback is still up in the air, right? I saw Mike Gundy earlier this week saying that we might play both guys. Spencer Sanders is cleared. He's been practicing all week, coming off that injury he suffered in their week one game against Tulsa. He was obviously the unquestioned starter going into the year, right? There was no quarterback controversy in Stillwater. It was Spencer Sanders' job, but he gets hurt. Shane Illingworth comes in, the true freshman, and he's looked really, really good. Now, once again, not against great competition, but it feels like Illingworth has gotten a little bit better uh, every week that he's played. So he might get some run in this football game for Oklahoma State. That defense has been the story, though, I mean, for OSU, right? I mean, they're second in the country in scoring defense. They're giving up only nine points per game through three weeks. Look, I don't care if you're playing Kansas, West Virginia, and Tulsa. If you're at nine points per game allowed after three college football games, that's really, really damn good. That's really, really impressive. And Oklahoma State had a ton of guys coming back from last year's defense. I think 10 starters, like 14 of their top 15 tacklers were coming back for Jim Knowles' defense from last year. Now, the question was, well, that defense wasn't that good last year. So, you know, hey, it's cool that you're getting a bunch of guys back. Experience always helps. But, like, if they're not that good, then how much does that really help? And how much does that necessarily mean that they're going to be good this year? That was the question I think everybody had. So far, they've answered that in a resounding way. They've been very, very impressive. But obviously, Brock Purdy's the best quarterback they're going to have to play to this point. Uh, Brees Hall, the best running back they've seen to this point. Iowa State, without question, the best team they've seen to this point. So this will be a test for Oklahoma State this Saturday. They've been very impressive. Uh, Number six in the country, the highest-ranked team in this league. But once again, we haven't seen them be tested this year. ISU obviously going to be their toughest challenge. Charlie Kolar is going to be an incredibly tough matchup for Oklahoma State. But the thing is – Brock Purdy's going to throw him the football, man. This is a good defense. This is maybe the best. In 2011, they were extremely opportunistic, that defense was, when they won the Big 12. But this defense just might be top to bottom the best that Mike Gundy's had since he's been at Oklahoma State. So Brock Purdy's probably going to throw the football to him a couple times. The same thing can be said about Spencer Sanders to Iowa State. I'm probably going to go with the Cyclones by a field goal in this game but I don't feel super great about it. I think that this is going to be a knock them, drag out, I, unbelievable football game in Stillwater where Iowa State just just pulls this one out. What are you saying? You saying take the under here? I think that I think you might. I think you might take the under here. I think that there's Iowa State plays a level of defense with Heacock that they they don't really give up the big play. You know, um, yeah, I, I feel they like drop they drop eight, right? They they try to prevent. Yeah, the and I think, they do a great, I think they do a great job of it. I mean, if you want to score on Iowa State, you're going to have to have a 9, 10, 11 play drive. They're just not – Tylen Wallace isn't going to be running free down the field on Saturday. I mean, he they may hit on a couple deep balls, but that's not – that can't be OSU's game plan all game long. It's just to throw it up deep to Tylen Wallace and let him go make plays. So they're going to make OSU earn it. And, yeah, I mean, and, and that's what I would do against OSU. I would make OSU have nine, ten play drives on me because the more plays in a drive, the more likely Spencer Sanders is 
to turn the football over. I think that that's a yeah. really good game plan. So yeah, and I wonder, I wonder who starts, right? I think Spencer Sanders is probably going to start on Saturday, but I wonder what yeah. his leash is, or I wonder if it's one of those things where, like, hey, Spencer Sanders, you get the first two series, and then Shane Illingworth is going to play, right? Like, I hate that. I don't. I never think that's a good idea, especially if your starter marches down the field and scores a touchdown, right? Like, are you really going to take him out after the next series? Uh, and put the other guy in just because he's played decently well the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, Mike Gundy was making it sound like both guys are going to get some run this Saturday, which, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a good thing to go into the game with that type of plan. Uh, they need a lot from Chuba Hubbard. That probably goes without saying. Now, he's coming off a fantastic game against Kansas. Uh, once again, the free space in this conference. But Oklahoma State's rushing attack was really, really good against KU. And I know that was a welcome sight for OSU fans after uh, some early season struggles with getting that ground game established. So they need a lot from him to take the pressure off of whoever's playing quarterback uh, for Oklahoma state. Yeah, man, it's going to be a fun one. Honestly, it feels like a coin flip game for me too. I think I'm leaning Iowa state as well, to be quite honest, right? I just, I feel better about Brock Purdy and I know he hasn't looked that great at times this year uh, for the Cyclones. Now he's coming off his best performance of the season that win over Texas tech a couple of weeks ago, but he hasn't been that sharp. You mentioned the turnovers there. Uh, you know, I, I feel like this game could go either way, but I'm leaning Iowa State right now. I can't believe Brock Purdy only has one interception on the year. Seems like yeah. he has so much more than that. Oh, you dropped about three or four of those. I guess that awful, awful, awful turnover he had at TCU was not an interception. I guess it was just a fumble. I don't know, but stats don't lie. He's only got one pick on the year. So, But I think Brees Hall and – Brees, I, I think Jaquan Bailey is going to have a monster game too against this OSU offensive line. I know the numbers say that they've been pretty good up to this point, but consider the level of competition. Jaquan Bailey is, God, he is a stud. For my money, the best defensive player in this conference, and I think that he's going to uh, wreak some havoc on Saturday. So, yeah, we're both on the same page there. Do you, think, uh, do you think the winner of this game is a lock to get to Arlington? Feels ridiculous calling anyone a lock, right? I know mathematically they they won't clinch anything with the win on um, Saturday, but well, I mean, if Iowa State wins, I feel like they're a lock because of the schedule the rest of the way. I mean, Kansas, Baylor, Kansas State, Texas, and West Virginia, like they would have to lose like two or three or more of those games, like maybe three of those games. I mean, I, I think Iowa State would be a lock if they. Okay. If they win, not Oklahoma State, not so much, but Iowa State would be in unbelievable shape. So I'd say yes on them. Okay. Baylor, Baylor Texas, uh, no band for the Longhorns no there bands. on Saturday. So DKR is going to feel really empty on Saturday. Just don't know what to expect from Charlie Brewer and, and Baylor's offense. I think that this line is way too high. You just, this is such a hard game to predict because you just don't know where Texas is at right now. You don't know, we don't know how good Baylor is. And mm -hmm. we don't know what to expect from Texas in this game. Where, where are they at as a football team right now? Uh, well, I will give you this stat to start off our conversation here. Tom Herman in Big 12 games at Texas is 4-9-1 and one against the spread when he's favored by six or more. Man. Four wins, nine losses, and one push against the spread when favored by six or more. You mentioned that Texas a 9-10 point favorite right now for this game on Saturday. So history would tell you that Baylor plus nine is the play, but – Baylor looks awful, and they've obviously dealt with COVID more than any team in this conference. They've had more games postponed than games played this year due to COVID-19. It's been a while since we've seen Baylor play a football game, and they're 1-1, one and one, both games in league play, but you know they've played two of maybe the three worst teams in this conference, right, with Kansas and West Virginia. And you brought up the offense, dude. The offense, I went back and watched uh, Baylor-West Virginia last night to sort of get ready for the show, and they look terrible. I mean, there, there's no redeeming qualities with this offense yeah. right now. Charlie Brewer has been great at Baylor. Uh, senior quarterback, four-year starter in Waco. He's done some really, really good things for Baylor, but he can't throw the football down the field right yeah. now. And it doesn't feel like Baylor wants him to push the football down the field right now. But when he does, like in double overtime, he threw an interception by trying to take a shot in the end zone on the first play. Like his deep ball accuracy is not good. And his arm strength right now is not great. So – that makes it uh, relatively easy to to defend when you know your quarter when you know the opposing quarterback can't take vertical shots. So he doesn't look great. The offensive line's been terrible. I mean, Brewer got sacked six times in that game. A couple of those were on him, but 
mean, the offensive line was getting pushed around by the Stills brothers, and that's a problem for Baylor this year. The running game, which is usually the bread and butter for the Baylor offense, right? When Baylor's good, yeah, they've had some really good quarterbacks in the past. You think of RG3. Uh, you think of Bryce Petty. You think of Nick Florence. I mean, they've had some really, really good players who put up numbers, but when Baylor's really good, their rushing attack is like one of the best in the country. That was a huge part of the Art Bryles yeah. offense. That was a huge part of their success last year. They're able to run the football very, very efficiently. Uh, I mean, their their leading rusher has just over 100 yards total through two games this year. And I think John Lovett is averaging 3.2, 3.3 yards a carry. Like, they're getting no consistent rushing attack. And once again, they play Kansas and West Virginia, who aren't very good football teams. So Baylor does not have a whole lot on offense. Now, this Texas defense isn't very good. I think they played better the last two weeks. I mean, they, they were embarrassed in that Texas Tech game. I think they did some things better against TCU and Oklahoma. I mean, to hold Oklahoma to 31 points in regulation and to force three turnovers, like that's a football game you should win. Absolutely. And I know, obviously, with the four overtimes, OU got into the 50s. But uh, the eye test tells me Texas is missing fewer tackles. They're a little bit more disciplined on that side of the football right now. So if they can continue that progression, obviously coming off of a bye You'd like to think they've worked on a few things, too. Uh, then I think they've got a shot to keep Baylor in check because I don't think Baylor's doing anything well on offense right now. This game smells to me kind of like the Kansas State and Kansas game last year. It's Texas wins on a last-second field goal, and it's like, okay, all right. All right, they rallied and got a tough win. Are they ready to move forward and start playing better football? You know, I, just, I, I feel like that Texas is going to win by a field goal in this game. Cameron Digger kicks a 36-yarder for the win at the end of regulation. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that would tick a lot of people off. Obviously, it's getting back into the win column, snapping this two-game losing streak. But you want to beat this Baylor team by more than a field goal. I'm like 28-20 to right now. Like, I think Baylor's going to cover the line. I think it's going to be close and kind of interesting. Uh, I think Texas is the better football team. But Texas has its issues on offense, too. I mean, I'll give Baylor's defense some love. Like, they've – look pretty good once again West Virginia and Kansas like Texas right now is leading the country in scoring offense uh it helps when you've played five overtimes right four against Oklahoma one against Texas Tech but you would think just looking at the numbers the Texas offense is really really good and oh my god they can put up points against anybody who the Texas offense is in a bad bad way right now and it's really the Sam Ellinger show I mean he's getting no help whatsoever and I know a lot of people will will laugh and say ah Ellinger's overrated he's not winning games and he's throwing picks and this and that I mean, if you watch this football team, there's two good players on offense, Sam Ellinger and Sam Cosme, the left tackle, but the rest of the offensive line is atrocious. They're getting nothing from the running backs. Keonta Ingram's having serious fumble issues right now. And the wide receivers can't get open. Like the two good wide receivers, the guys that Texas felt confident in going into the season were Jordan Whittington, who had only played like one quarter of football in his Texas career, and Jake Smith, who was a freshman last year. Like Texas fans felt pretty good about those guys because they were highly touted recruits and they were playing the same position that Devin Duvernay played last year, that little Jordan Humphrey played in two years ago. That H wide receiver position, the slot receiver position, puts up numbers in the Tom Herman offense. Those guys can't stay healthy. Like Jordan Whittington was Texas's leading receiver against Oklahoma, 10 catches. He got hurt in that game. He's out for a couple of weeks. Jake Smith missed that game against OU. He's battling a hamstring injury. I think he's going to play on Saturday. But none of the outside wide receivers for Texas can get open at all. Tariq Black, I expected more from him. Tariq Black, Josh Moore, uh, Brandon Eagles Eagles was going to have a a lot better year. I mean, he was the leading receiver, leading returning receiver from Texas coming into this year. He's been terrible. Like, if Oklahoma defensive backs can push you around and they can (laughs) jam you at the line of scrimmage and steer you off your routes, then you're in a lot of trouble going up against the Dave Aranda defense. So, I mean, Sam Ellinger's got a ball out for this offense to be successful. Baylor's defenses look pretty good. Uh, I think this is a relatively low-scoring football game on Saturday. I really do. One last thing about Texas. I I mentioned earlier, like, there's probably this thought, I'm going to guess, across the conference where it's like, oh, God, here Oklahoma goes again. They're about to get hot and run the rest of the table. And you kind of rolled your eyes like, yeah, I've I've seen this before. Is there even that thought? Like, Texas mathematically can still make the Big 12 championship, but is there even a thought like this team's going to rebound and win out? Absolutely not. No, absolutely. I didn't think so, but you know, never. I mean, I I keep saying that on the show down here, like, Hey, there's still a chance, but I mean, this team still has some really, really tough games. First of all, next Saturday, they go to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. 
they've got to go. They've got to play Iowa State, and they have to trick it, take a trip to Manhattan in December when it's going to be cold as hell. Yeah, it's going to be like Winterfell. Uh, and there. the purple kryptonite has been a huge issue for Texas over the years. They did win their last trip to Manhattan, but I mean, usually bad things happen when the Horns go up to the Little Apple. So, still three really, really tough games on the schedule against the three undefeated teams in this conference right now. Like I know Oklahoma's really good. They're really talented. I don't know if they're really good, but they're really talented, and you still need to throw them into the mix for best teams in this league. TCU's obviously a quality opponent, but in terms of the standings, Texas still has its three toughest games left to be played, and they can't afford another loss. So, no, not a lot of optimism uh, about Texas running the table and finding their way to Jerry World at the end of the year. Hey, want to remind you guys to take advantage of our special gaming offers from American betting experts. Go to LandryFootball.com, click on the ad located in the upper right side of the page, pick them on the gaming sites legal in your state, sign up and instantly receive an account deposit match or risk-free bet from $100 to $1,000. It's that easy. Thank you to our sponsor, American betting experts. And yes, you were right, Spartan Barton. I was an idiot for putting money on Ian Book to win the Heisman Trophy after he threw for like 110 yards on Saturday in a 12-7 win. I told you, man, just give me that money. I'll hold on to it for you. (sighs) I would have taken that bet. Hey, but I did say that Florida State was going to beat North Carolina. I think I said on this podcast, I think Spartan Barton got after me on that one too. And hey, what happened? Sorry, Mac. I didn't see that coming. Dude, Mac Brown can't beat Florida State. He can't beat Florida State. Like, that dates back to his first tenure at North Carolina. Now, those FSU teams in the 90s were fantastic, obviously. Uh, but there's something – it's a mental block there. It's like Mike Gundy with uh, OU, man. He just can't yeah. beat him. Yeah. Yeah, that, there's definitely a mental block there. West Virginia at Texas Tech. That's going to be a crazy game. It's got an even even crazier start time. 4.30 on ESPN. What, what is that? I don't know if I've ever seen a 4.30 start time before. What's what are they doing there? What what's the point of that? Like, what, is ESPN two not having a game at eleven? Because usually you go like eleven, two thirty, and then a night game. So are, they, are, they, are they not having a two two thirty game? They're just they're they're. I don't know. That's bizarre. I don't know how I feel about the four thirty kick because it's always two thirty or like six or seven. Yeah, it's like right in the middle, and I just don't know if I love it or not. I, it's it's football, man. We get the Big Ten back this weekend, like. It's awesome. It, it really is awesome. I cannot wait to to sit and watch college football all day. I'm actually taking off, so normally I do live commentary during Texas games, and normally I do the post-game show as well for Longhorn yeah. games. Uh, I'm taking off this Saturday, going up to the Metroplex nice. to see a World Series game oh. on Saturday night. Sorry that your Braves aren't there, Tyler. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, that's a twist in the knife right there right now. Yeah, I know you're still either. struggling. I was, I was over it, but okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. No, I'm sure you were. I'm sure you were. Uh, but yeah, I'm just going to like go to a buddy's place in Dallas and just watch football all day. It's going to be fantastic. So the 4:30 start time, it's, it's a little twist. It's a little odd, but, uh, it, it'll ensure that like, we don't have that lull, you know, that's the problem, I guess, with college football Saturdays. Not that there's really ever a problem with college football Saturdays, but sometimes in between the two 30 kicks and the night kicks, you have like a 30 minute delay, yeah. which, okay, maybe that's good. Hey, I'm going to go get food. I'm going to go get beer. I'm going to shower, whatever. Ah, uh, no shower. Come on, but, no shower. Uh, I know, I know. Yeah, I usually like I try to wake up early enough to shower before eleven a.m. So if I'm like actually doing something, I don't have to get ready or anything like that. But uh, this four thirty start, I guess, guarantees that there's no lull. Like there's always going to be a game on this Saturday, which I guess is kind of cool. And maybe that's the logic that went into this four thirty kick time with West Virginia and Texas Tech. Well, I mean, there's no logic in anything in this game. There's no logic in how I'm going to pick it. I think West Virginia goes out there and kicks their ass by really? like 21. Yeah, I don't think Tech's very good. I don't either. I'm picking Tech in this football game. I don't know why. I don't have anything to back it up. I just I feel like West Virginia's due for a loss. I don't think they're very good either. Um, that's about all I got on this game. <laughs> right. uh, Columbia, the future of Texas Tech football at the quarterback position. Uh, we'll see what he can do. West Virginia's defense has looked pretty good. I will give them that. Uh, once again, I mean, they, they haven't played anybody great. They didn't play Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State ended up with <clears throat> 27. But I think, uh, well, they had a defensive touchdown in that game. So they held yeah. Oklahoma State to 20. Uh, they held Kansas to 10, 
right? Because Kansas had a kickoff return touchdown to get to 17. They held Baylor to 14 in regulation. So maybe West Virginia's defense is pretty good. Obviously, we'll wait and see how they look against some of the better offenses in this conference. So maybe they'll uh, do a good job shutting down Columbia or Bowman or whoever the hell's starting and uh, and win this game going away. But I'm going with the ridiculous overcooked theory of strange things happen in Lubbock, and I'll, I'll pick a tech upset just for the hell of it. I'm not putting any money on it. Yeah, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, for the sake of the show, I'll I'll, I'll pick Tech to win. Uh, by the way, go check out LandryFootball.com throughout the week. He is the most knowledgeable football mind on the face of the earth, more than Nick Saban, more than Bill Belichick. I wonder how he feels about that. You said that, not me. No offense. I said, I said it. I, said it. Um, I just want to get stabbed by Bevo and try to get 200k to a uh, million dollars. Oh man. Dude. Okay, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, those out there. And an Austin American Statesman photographer was shooting the Sugar Bowl, and when Bevo charged Uga, this guy is saying that he basically took permanent damage. But the picture that it shows, he's lifting his shirt up and like smiling and laughing about it, like it's some badge of honor to do it. Now he wants two hundred k to a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's a former American, a former Austin American Statesman yeah. photographer, so he's not working for them anymore. I think he lives up in Minnesota at this point, so he's pretty far removed from the Texas football program. Uh, this does feel like a total money grab. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and poo-poo the notion of, hey, even if it didn't hurt that much in the short term, like long-term injuries can happen from events, from any sort of event, right? You get hurt at the time. You don't think it's that big of a deal, but something comes up a little bit later. So in theory, he could have a case here. But I actually, once I saw a tweet go out about this lawsuit, I think on Monday night, maybe it was Sunday, I'm not sure, I went and looked at this guy, Nick Wagner's his name, and I'll mention it because it's in the lawsuit and it's out in public. I looked at his Twitter account, and his cover photo was a picture of Bevo, Tyler. (laughs) Now, he changed it like within an hour because I'm sure somebody on his legal team was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? But his cover photo was a picture of Bevo. So it's hard for me to sit here and think that he was that traumatized, either physically or emotionally, by that event if he still had Bevo as his cover photo for a very active Twitter accounts. So uh feels like a total money grab here. And yeah, another story coming out of the University of Texas, Tyler. Uh, not that there's enough of those going on right now. Hey, at least you're not LSU and cheating and recruiting right now, right? I mean, come on. Right. Yeah, I guess. Well, they just won a national championship. Well, that's so, true. Yeah. Know, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd rather be them than, than us. Over 100K for offensive linemen. So yeah, yeah, no big deal there. No big deal. LSU cheats. We all knew that. I mean, come on. Is this a surprise to anybody? There is a thought out there that LSU cheats more than anybody else in college football. I don't know if you guys think that down there, but up here it's just like, oh, yeah, LSU just cheats on the reg. They just know how to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's the SEC as a whole. I kind of put them at the forefront of cheating in college football, but I'd probably throw LSU at the top of the list. Uh, Most Blue Blood programs aren't completely innocent of stuff like that. (laughs) Just don't get caught, Tyler. Those are the rules. Don't get caught. That'll do it for us. We'll talk to you again on Monday right here on Twitch, 10 a.m. Central Time. He's Brad Kellner. I'm Tyler McComas. We are in defense of the Big 12.